Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Open your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had come off victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of the Lord, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, thou King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy, for all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out from the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their breasts with golden girdles. And one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Lord, thank you for your word. May it become flesh in us today. And may we be changed and may we represent you well and reflect your glory before a watching world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Kids, come on up. We want to pray for you and bless you. I'm so glad we're able to do this again. The Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord. We've got a rich heritage, church. Amen. I love hearing babies cry. That means there's life. Do you realize there are churches that have no kids in them? And we are blessed. Let's bless them, shall we? Lord, your word says that these children are a heritage from you. And you've given us a divine responsibility to love them, to nurture them, to raise them in the admonition of the Lord to train them up in the way that they should go according to the divine deposit that you've placed within each one of them. Give us eyes to see the grace that you've put in each and every one of these kids. And then may we encourage them and channel them and focus them in that and towards faithfulness to you. Bless them. Bless every mom and dad that's represented here as well, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, kids, there are bags at the back. Go and grab one of those. I'm glad that you all made it here on time. At one point during worship, as we were singing, I happened to look at my watch and I thought, oh no, I'm out of time to preach. I changed the clocks last night in our house and forgot to change my watch. Well, what a blessing to look into the Word of God together and uh, 
If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation 15 and chapter 16. We're going to walk through these two chapters together this morning. In some respects, I feel like I drew the short straw because these two chapters represent probably the darkest, most terrifying, most troubling things in all of John's revelation. These are indeed disturbing verses that we read in these two chapters. And yet in them there is a glorious admonition to us as believers. As we begin, let me just remind us of a couple of things that Matt shared with us last Sunday that I I thought were really important for us. I loved what he said last Sunday, that rather than living in fear of the mark of the beast, we are meant to look to the Lamb. And I think back over the years of the fear, the panic, the paranoia, the conversations in the church. I wonder how many thousands of dollars worth of books and tapes have been sold referring to the mark of the beast. And the church is paranoid about not getting the mark of the beast. And what we forget is that as John saw in Revelation, God puts a mark on his people. May I say to us, church, Let's be more focused on the lamb than on the beast. Let us be more focused on having his stamp of approval on our lives rather than living in paranoia over the mark of the beast. And don't worry, when that mark of the beast comes, you'll know it for what it is if you're still here. I know there's a lot of debate and controversy whether you're premillennial, amillennial, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever millennial you are, I tell people, I am pan-millennial. It's all going to pan out, and I think we're all going to be surprised. And we're all going to say, well, yeah, that makes sense. I prefer to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church because I don't want to be here. But if I have to go through... And I want to be strong in the Lord, and I want to build myself up to be faithful. That's a message for another day. Another thing that I so appreciated that has been echoed over the last number of weeks as we've looked into the book of Revelation is that the moment Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, steps onto the battlefield, the battle is over. In fact, the battle was over before the foundations of the world. And and if you'll Permit an older man to reminisce a little bit. I have such vivid memories of when we were in the Holy Land, and I I hope and pray by God's grace we get to go back to Israel again, this side of heaven. But I remember when we went to Megiddo, that ancient tell that sets in what we know as the Valley of Armageddon. And you feel, as we were going there to, to view this, uh, this tell, and there's multiple civilizations that have been built upon this, because whoever controlled this high area controlled the whole valley. And as we were walking up to that, you, you feel a little bit, well, I wouldn't say nervous, but you're feeling some things, because you know, if you know your Bible, this is where it's all going to culminate. And as we're walking, all of a sudden I hear, boom, boom. I thought, okay, Lord, I'm ready. (laughs) I felt better when I looked up and saw two Israeli jets breaking the sound barrier over our heads. Vivid memories of that. One of the things Matt talked to us about repeatedly, and he said it again last Sunday, that rather than looking at Revelation as a timeline and trying to figure out every sign, symbol, seal, and woe and put together these timelines, what we need to do is look at this book as if we are looking through different windows in the same house. And as you look at through different windows, you're going to get a little different perspective. 
And as I was preparing, I, I was reminded one of our family's favorite places is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. In those 16 years that Janice and I were on the road, uh, we liked to stop in Gettysburg when we were there because it was free. How many of you know free is good? And we hardly had two nickels to rub together during those years we were on the road, and so we liked the free things. One of the things that we did spend some money on one time in Gettysburg was going to the cyclorama. And I thought of this as I was preparing this, because you go into the cyclorama, and here you have depicted the three days of battle in Gettysburg, and it's 360 degrees around you. And you're just looking around. It's worth going to and worth seeing if you're in Gettysburg. And I thought of that. And, and I thought, you know what? In, in some measure, this is what John is experiencing in this revelation. Because we know what's taking place here in chapter 15 and 16 is a continuation of what has been going on. And it's like he's in awe and wonder of all that is being revealed around him. In our time together this morning, so you know that I'm not just rambling, and I do have a method to my madness, there's three things that I, I believe we really need to take away from this. That as we look at these scriptures, we see that God is totally righteous, he is totally just in all that he does. There's a second thing that, that we need to remind ourselves of is that these seven bowls of God's wrath recall to mind the plagues that came on Egypt in the book of Exodus. But what we see here in Revelation has a far greater scope. The third thing, and this was really sobering to me as I was doing preparation the seven bowls complete God's wrath, and practically speaking, human history as we know it comes to an end, and with it, the day of grace. Let's walk together through these chapters. John sees this uh, sign. He says in verse 1, it's the last plagues. Because the wrath of God is now complete. What really spoke to me, not just the sea of glass that appears to be on fire, and the saints who have been victorious. And remember, Revelation 12:4, they overcame by what? The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. They're the overcomers. And here they are. And I thought, what is so amazing is they're not celebrating their victory. Now, I, I did see some video of Westview's soccer championship played in the monsoon. What a victory. I watched on television yesterday the victory as the fans from Purdue poured out onto the field, and they're celebrating their victory. How often do we want to celebrate our victory? But that's not what the saints did. They didn't celebrate their victory over the beast. They sing about the sovereignty, the glory, the justice, the righteousness of their almighty God and King. What an amazing thing. The focus was not on their victory. It was on the victory of the Lamb. The victory of their King. And, and I was challenged again. I, I will tell you, going through this, I was challenged again about how self-absorbed I become. And that in our culture, everything is about me and my success. What a contrast of what we see here. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Years ago, I was reminded that we used to actually sing this 
And I'd sing it for you, but I can't remember all of it other than, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous. And I can't forget, I can't remember how we did the rest. But we were blessed as we did the rest. Okay, moving right along. They sing the song of Moses. Takes us back to Exodus chapter 15 and verses 1 through 18. As Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea. And here they are. God led them sovereignly. And they began to question, God, do you know what you're doing? Because they had mountains on two sides of them, the Red Sea in front of them, and the armies of Pharaoh and Egypt behind them coming to destroy them. How many of you know that would cause panic? Because most of us are not very good at walking on the water unless it's January and it's 20 below, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, it's one of those mornings for Pastor Harold. It would have been easy in that moment to say, God, what are you doing? Why would you lead us here just to be destroyed? And yet God in infinite grace, in an infinite wisdom and mercy is taking them to that precise place where he can manifest his glory and show them that their deliverance is not coming through their own efforts. Their victory is not because of anything that they could have done, but because of the sovereign grace and mercy and love of their God who is their kinsman redeemer in Christ Jesus? And you know, the waters of the Red Sea parted. Now, there are some who say it was really the Reed Sea, and it was only about three feet deep. Have you ever heard that theory? There are many who say that. If someone says that to them, I want you to compliment them on their faith. I'm being very serious. Compliment on their faith. Say, you know what? If you believe that it was only three feet deep, you've got more faith than I do because an entire army drowned in three feet of water. They may never talk to you again, but you'll make your point. And as the waters come back, destroys the army of Egypt. Destroyed the most powerful army in the world. Destroyed it. And the dead bodies washed up on the, on the shore. Miriam and the daughters of Israel sing and danced and celebrate over dead bodies. That's something difficult for us <clears throat> sophisticated folks in northeast Indiana to comprehend. Let alone dance and celebrate. And they're celebrating. But here in Revelation 15, it's the song of the Lamb. And it's far greater. It has a much larger reach and scope. Here, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, is celebrated, is worshipped, is glorified. Because He is the King of all ages. Verse 4, all nations will come and bow down and they will worship. It's a quotation right out of Psalm 86, verse 9, that says, All nations whom thou, thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. I really liked what Earl F. Palmer said regarding this. said it in his communicator's commentary, on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Revelation. He said, John's vision has hereby taught us that Jesus Christ fully fulfills both Moses the Deliverer and David the King. Now, we've done enough things over the last number of years and number of months, as, actually, as we've gone through Revelation and we've seen Christ in Hebrews proclaimed as better. King of kings, both prophet, king, priest, and king. And we've seen that. Moses is the deliverer. Christ is the king, our kinsman redeemer. And what is being celebrated here is rightfully 
that Jesus Christ is the one who called Moses from the burning bush. Jesus Christ is the rightful heir to the throne of David. He is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. And in the midst of what's happening here, as these seven bowls of wrath are being about to be poured out, is this celebration of Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great deliverer far beyond that of Moses, enthroned for who he really is. Seven angels, seven bowls, seven plagues. Look at what verse 7 says. They are full of the wrath of God. That's a sobering thing. I can't begin to comprehend that. I don't want to comprehend that. I don't want to experience that. Look at verse 8. The smoke that is there that fills the temple. It's smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And nobles, no one's able to enter the temple. The smoke of God's glory is holiness. Now that's a familiar image to us when you think about it. It would have been familiar images to those first century believers to whom that received this initial copy of the Revelation. It would have called to mind Moses having received the law on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, verse 18, where the glory of God descends on the mountain in smoke and in fire, and nobody could come near to it. When Moses goes in to enter the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I was reading through these things. I was preparing for this time this morning, and, and, and I'm thinking, we so casually say, glory, God, let your glory come upon us. God, come and visit us by your presence. Folks, if his fullness of glory came into this place today, we couldn't stand, we couldn't stay in here. I was humbled, I was challenged by my own casual attitudes towards coming to worship. And I'm the one coming to preach this morning. And I was challenged again over how casually I come into the presence of the Creator God of the universe. Because the Bible says that where our two or three are gathered in His name. Let's see, one, two, three. We got more than that this morning. He is here. Whether we recognize his presence or not, he is here. If his glory would be revealed to us, we couldn't handle it. When the Ark of the Covenant enters the Temple of Solomon, this is from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. It came when the priests came from the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. May I say to us that most of us have never experienced anything even close to that. I can count on one hand the number of times that I've felt so overwhelmed by the presence of God and the move of God's Spirit that I couldn't preach. And I started to preach when I was 18, and I'm 74 years old. There is so much more that we do not understand, let alone perceive. But our eyes will be opened. We didn't read chapter 16, but let's walk through some of this together. Chapter 16. There's a loud voice, and the seven angels are commanded to go and to pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God onto the earth. Now, remember, here again, 
So much of what we've seen over the last number of weeks has called to mind the plagues that came on Egypt. And we'll see some references to that uh, together this morning. But what I want us to remember is that those plagues in Egypt only affected Egypt. What's happening now affects the whole earth. There is a global impact. Verse 2, the first angel pours out his bowl upon the earth, and loathsome and malignant sores came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped the image. It's reminiscent of the sixth plague that came on Egypt in Exodus chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. We don't have time to turn to that. It's also reminiscent of what happened to Job, Job chapter 2 and verse 7, where he had these boils all over his body. If you've ever had boils, which I have, you understand the pain and misery and discomfort It's horrible. And they covered his body. In the parable that Jesus gives of Lazarus in Luke 16, 21, where Lazarus is covered with these sores. It's painful. It's hideous. It's loathsome. And the thing that that really spoke to me, you know, words are important. Verse 2, do you see what it says there? That it was a malignant sore. What does a malignancy do? It spreads. And notice that unlike the plague in Exodus chapter 9, which only affected Egypt, this plague, this bowl of wrath, has a global effect. But it's only on those who worship the beast. Verse 3, the second angel comes, pours out, his bowl upon the sea. And it became blood, like the blood of a dead man. I thought it was interesting. It didn't say just blood, but the blood of a dead man. If you've worked in nursing, in the medical profession, you understand that, and I won't go into those gory details. It's reminiscent of the first plague that came on to Egypt in Exodus chapter 7, in verse 17 through 21, where Moses does as God commands and the river Nile turns to blood. In Egypt, it affected that river. This time, here in Revelation 16, it's the oceans of the world. In Egypt, it was fresh water. Now it's salt water. Do you realize that 70% of the earth's surface is covered with water? Powerful imagery of what takes place here. Verses 4 through 7. The third angel. I thought this was interesting because look look at what it says. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So now it is affecting the source of the fresh water. Now what's interesting to me is that as this happens, it's now the global water supply that is being affected. But the amazing thing that happens is now we get a second song. Now, I I tried to picture this. I tried to imagine it. And it's difficult for me to comprehend because here is this happening. You have incredible suffering that's taking place for people who've worshipped the beast, have the mark of the beast. The A third of the oceans is now turned to blood, like the blood of a dead person, stagnant, putrid. Now the springs and the fresh water is being affected. And what happens? And the angel says, Righteous art thou who art and who was holy one, because thou didst judge these things. And they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. They deserved it. Did you see that in the last part of verse 6? I confess, 
I highlighted that in my Bible. They deserved it. See, what the angel is doing is declaring the righteous judgment of God on the earth. God isn't being vindictive in what he does. He is being righteous. And then it's like we have this celestial choir that's responding in verse 7. Yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgment. So it's, it's almost like an echoing that's going on back and forth between the choir. Amazing scene that is taking place in the midst of God's judgment. And again, I want to come back to something that I, that I said at the beginning. That we need to understand, and what is being celebrated in the midst of these bowls being poured out is the righteousness of God, his justice in pouring out his wrath as judgment for sin and the rebellion of humanity. God is just in what he does. Our natural mind looks at some of this and says, that's not fair. That's not right. And yet God is totally justified and totally just in the judgments that he brings upon the earth. Verses 8 through 8 and 9, we see the fourth angel pouring out his bowl upon the sun. That is interesting. Because this is a, we know that in Egypt, that there were days of darkness in Egypt. And as I said at the beginning, these two chapters, especially chapter 16, contain some of the most tragic, tragic parts of John's entire revelation. Because look at what happens as the darkness comes. Look at verse 11. What is the response of the people? They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Even in the face of divine judgment, they blaspheme God and they refuse to repent which would give glory to God. I'd made a note to myself, uh, in fact, I made a note again this morning, that repentance is me agreeing with what God says about my sin. And you know, one of the things that, as parents, we do when we discipline our children and we confront them on their naughtiness or their sin, we are really imparting a spiritual principle when they confess when they repent of their sins because it is an acknowledgement of their rebellious sinful act and the righteousness of the judgment and the punishment that comes as the result of that. Now we know as parents, without getting into a parental thing, that we're not, we're not bringing judgment, we're bringing correction because we want them to grow and mature. That's a subject for another day. I'll try not to get down that rabbit trail. But how, how amazing, and, and my mind again struggles to comprehend, how can this be that in the midst of all of that, and we know in another place that, that they call out for the mountains and the hills to cover them from the wrath of God, rather than calling out in mercy to the God who could forgive them, they curse God, they blaspheme God, and they refuse to repent. Verses 10 and 11, more judgment. Symbolic of the ninth plague. Here we've got darkness, and I, and I got a little ahead of myself. Forgive me here. Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. What's interesting here is, in verse 10, that the bowl is poured out upon the throne of the beast, and it just radiates out from there. Judgment starts at the seat of power of the beast and it spreads to his entire kingdom. The pain is so intense. The pain is so unbearable. Verse 10 says that they gnawed 
their tongues in pain. Bit their tongues. Have you ever bit your tongue? I have. Mm. Still they blaspheme God and they refuse to repent. Here's the sad thing that I see in all of this. This is the final time we read in Scripture that mankind would not, did not repent. First time we see that. The day of grace is past. There's no more time to repent. And I thought of the admonition from Hebrews where it says, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Respond to God today while it is still today. You know we have no guarantees of tomorrow. And I know growing up in church that a lot of times fear was used to motivate people. I I remember William R. Miller. He lived in Crumbstown, Indiana. They called him Bread William. He lived in Crumbstown, okay? You know how things go in Amish communities like ours. We attach names. I remember when he came and preached at our church when I was a kid at Maple Grove. I'm telling you what, that man could make the songbooks jump in the back of the pew. And there's a lot of times that we have used fear to motivate people. And we try hard not to do that. That being said, how many of you know as parents, there are times we motivate our children out of love through fear not to do things. Don't play in the street. See what happened to your kitty? That was not in my notes, but you got the point. (laughs) Is it loving to sometimes use fear to motivate our children? Absolutely. And there are times that is the loving thing for us to do spiritually to motivate people and say, look, none of us has the guarantee of another breath. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, let alone today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And I read passages like this. God's pouring out his wrath and his judgment, yes. But even in the midst of that, they blaspheme God and they refuse to repent. Oh, brothers and sisters, I am so thankful that today is still the day of grace and salvation is still possible. If you've not opened your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I beg you, do it today. Look at what's coming. I like what Daniel Akins wrote in his commentary. This is a fill-in-the-blank for you. They loved their sin more than the Savior who would have set them free from their bondage and slavery. It's hard not to weep. You look at this scene, our hearts should break. Is God's wrath justified? Yes. Is his justice just? Yes. But isn't it tragic For people to go into a Christless eternity under divine judgment, refusing to repent and blaming God in the process. Our hearts should weep, Christians. It should weep. And how often have we heard it said, or maybe we've said it ourselves, Well, it's their choice. We can't live their lives for them. And that's true. I don't want my worst enemy to have to go through what people are going through 
who have the mark of the beast and have wor worshipped the image of the beast. There ought to be something in us that breaks our heart and say, oh God, somehow, I know people have a free will, but God, somehow, give us grace to be able to reach out to them with the message of salvation. Quickly, we need to bring this together. The sixth angel, verses 12 through 16. Pours out the bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters dried up, that the way may be prepared for the kings of the east. So we see a prophetic foreshadowing that's coming here of the kings of the east who are going to come for this final battle. But it's affecting the river Euphrates. Like the river Nile in Egypt, the river Euphrates was the life stream of the Crescent Valley. It still is, in fact, today. It flows from Mount Ararat to the Persian Gulf, 1,800 miles. And did you realize, think about this. This is fun to think about. God said that the river Euphrates is the eastern boundary of the Promised Land. Can you imagine what would happen today if the nation of Israel would claim their eastern boundary? That is wow indeed. And out of this, look, look what happens. It, it's just amazing. Verse 13, I saw out of the, the mouth of the dragon the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of the Lord, the Almighty. Three demonic frog-like creatures which have powers. Again, remember, we, we've said all of these things are reflections back to what happened in Egypt. You remember in Egypt that the magicians of Egypt duplicated some of the early signs that Moses performed, including turning water to blood. We don't think about that. Those magicians in Egypt moved in realms of the powers of darkness that we have no idea about. And Americans have just celebrated the third most popular holiday in the calendar, Halloween. I'm glad that we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. There was powers of darkness. Now, what's interesting, John sees in this revelation its preparation for what's to come as this army of two million from the east is about to come. And I will avoid the temptation of making parallels to China, but I'll tell you what, they have an army of two million or more. Interesting. When you read the scripture and you look at what's going on. But what I want to point out is these frog-like creatures, notice that there are three of them. What does that call to mind for you? They are a counterfeit trinity. We know of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now you have the counterfeit trinity here. Again, what's amazing, like we have the angels breaking into this song earlier, now here we have this parenthesis. And I, I don't know if in your Bible, is verse 15 in parenthesis? It is in mine. Amazing thing. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. So in the midst of it, yeah, mine's in red letters too. So I see the words of Jesus. So if you have a red letter Bible, hallelujah. Oh, oh sorry. That was my twisted sense of humor again. But <laughs> pray for me. You'll get that Thursday. And if you don't, it's okay. Please don't send text to Matt saying, talk to your dad. 
The imagery here, in all seriousness, this parenthesis is really important because the imagery here is that of a soldier ready for battle or that of a homeowner who is on high alert because he knows there is a thief in the neighborhood and he's protecting his property. Clearly, God's speaking a message to us today, to his people. Stay alert. Stay prepared. When I come, it's going to happen suddenly. There's going to be something unexpected. We need to be on the alert, and especially I need to be alert to my own spiritual condition, staying focused on the Lamb, not letting fear take over in my life because of world events or because whatever political party is in power, but knowing that my God is in control and all things are coming together and I need to be prepared. Finally, verses 17 through 21, the seventh angel. Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, great earthquakes, the likes of which nothing as seen in the history of the world, the great city is split in true. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. Huge hailstones of 100 pounds. If you've ever been caught in a hailstorm, oh my goodness, those who, who lived in Kansas and Oklahoma, you know what hailstones are. We don't know what hailstorms are here in Indiana. But what I want to point out to us Verse 17, powerful declaration. This is the culmination of the wrath of God poured out in righteous, just judgment. And the declaration is, it is done. I read that, I thought, John 19.30, Jesus in his dying words on the cross, says, it is finished. It's done. The wrath of God is poured out. His judgment is complete. Worship team, if you'll come and join me. The challenge for us today is to be vigilant, to do what Revelation 16, 15 says. Stay awake, stay alert, stay spiritually focused. It's in the light of, of God's revelation, it's in the light of what he is doing that we live our lives. That's what controls how I live my life, knowing that his judgment is coming, knowing that he is coming for me as kinsman redeemer, but his judgment is coming on the earth. And I'll tell you what, I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can because I don't want anybody to go through this. Stay alert. Moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, this provides a great opportunity for you to have a family talk. What I want to encourage you to do, preparation for next Sunday, read chapters 17, 18, and 19. And then talk about why no one will be able to accuse God of being unfair when they are judged. Be a great opportunity, moms and dads, talk with your kids too about the discipline in your home and why repentance is sorry is important. Not just saying I'm sorry, but saying forgive me. Most of the time when we say I'm sorry, it's because we're sorry that we got caught. Amen. But when we repent, we acknowledge our sinfulness. We acknowledge the need of our Savior. And in that process, God is glorified. Talk about that, moms and dads, with your kids. Why it's not just saying I'm sorry, but why repentance is important. And why acknowledging my sins is really agreeing with God says, what God says about my spiritual condition. Then talk about what it means to stay alert and stay prepared for the return of Christ. And pray together, asking God to give you more grace to stay faithful and to be able to share the message of the gospel 
before it's too late. Would you stand together and pray with me? Our worship team is going to lead us. If you brought an offering, you can bring it at this time, or you can put it in one of the boxes as you leave. But let's ask God to do a work of grace within us. If you're here today, and you have never consciously opened your heart and life to Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you for your sins, to wash you clean and make you his child. I beg you, do it today. Judgment's coming. I'm so thankful that the redeemed will not experience judgment. I'm so thankful that this world is the only hell I will ever know. But for those that don't know Jesus, this world is the only heaven they'll ever know. Lord, I thank you for your word. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, to work in each of our hearts. Lord, would you apply this word to our lives? And, and Holy Spirit, teach us how to stay alert, how to stay prepared. God, give us grace to recognize the urgency of the hour and to appreciate that today is still the day of grace. There is still opportunity for people to repent, for people to come to salvation. Would you give us grace? Would you give us favor with our friends and neighbors? Not, not to beat on them with the Bible, but to lovingly reach out to them and introduce them to the Savior, the Redeemer, while there's still time. Lord, let your gospel rise up within our hearts in a sense of urgency that reaches out to our friends, our neighbors, and our family members that don't know you. Above all, Holy Spirit, keep our spirits focused on you. Work your work of grace in us that we can be prepared for all that is coming. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the work of your spirit in ways that we don't even know how to ask you to work, but you do it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.